0: What's happening? This is Steve Brown from Trickster, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Turn it up, crank it up, turn it up loud. Focus on! Hey Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another week of that which we call Focus on Metal. So I think that uh, we're going to have another eclectic week of uh, Focus on Metal here this week. You know, last week, if you go back and listen to that episode, we know we had uh, on one side of it Vivian Campbell, you know, best known for uh, Def Leppard and Last in Line and playing the Dio Band. On the other side of it was vocalist Chloe Lowry, who was best known for being one of the vocalists in Trans-Siberian Orchestra and is also out on the road doing the Rocktopia thing in... uh, This week, it's another eclectic week as uh, we have on one side of the spectrum, Damon Johnson. Uh, Some people might know him from back in the day with the brother Kane, but most recently being one of the uh, main collaborators with Ricky Warwick in Black Star Riders. But Damon has struck out on his own and he has a brand new solo disc that is out entitled Memoirs of an Uprising and we have got Damon on the show this week. And on the other side of the spectrum, Richie will be talking with Butto from groove metal band Last Crack. And last time we heard from uh, Last Crack was way back in 1991 with Burning Time. And they have come back to uh, hit us again this year with their brand new one. It is called The Uprising, and it is on uh, Dave Ellison's EMP label. So that's what you got in store this week is Damon Johnson as well as Butto from Last crack and bizarrely i really did not plan this at all but you know here you got two artists different ends of the spectrum both coming out with albums that uh have uprising in the title i swear to god i did not even plan this as i was literally just starting to put this together was like holy crap that's right you got memoirs of an uprising as well as the uprising So, first up is going to be Richie's chat with Damon Johnson. And uh, this one here has a little bit of audio quality funkiness happening with it because Damon was calling from on the road. He even starts off the interview by telling Richie, hey, I just want to disclose we're kind of in a really weird spot here, but uh, good guy. A little bit of a disconnect a few times, but uh, they kept up with it and had a great interview with Damon. And if you want to find out more about Damon, you can head up to his website, DamonJohnson.com. And up there, besides finding out about tour dates, his latest news, and all that good stuff, you can also buy all of his prior releases. He'll sign them, and as he says in the interview, sends them right out from his own house right to you. And he's definitely not gouging you on the price on these things either, great it's usually about 13 to 15 dollars for a cd and that includes even any of his black star rider stuff as well any any of the stuff pretty much that he's been on he's got up there available like i said he'll sign it pop it in the mailbox himself send it right off to you so with that what do you say we play a little bit off of uh, damon's latest solo release and again the name of the album is Memoirs of an Uprising, and from there we'll go right into Richie's chat with Damon Johnson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same, huh?
1: Hey Damon, how you
2: doing? Hey buddy,
3: I'm doing really well. One one qualification is that I'm we're driving. We're actually driving from Dallas. So uh you're catching me at a good time. The uh the rain has abated a little bit, so uh it might it was a little noisy earlier with all the, <laughs> the thunderstorms that we were as it was okay. but uh we're okay right now.
1: All right. Yeah. So so you live in Nashville, correct? That's right. Now, there's a lot of hard rock guys down there. The Tom Kiefer, Kip Winger, John Carabi, I think Mike Facera lives there. Do you run around, do you ever catch up with them when you're out and about, or do you very rarely see the other guys?
3: You know, I, rarely, man. Everybody's busy. Everybody's out of town, working. Um, you know, I see Brad Whitford from Aaron Smith from time to time because he doesn't live far from me. And uh Tom Peterson from Chit Trick. Uh Peter Frampton lives in town. Most of his band lives there. So you you'd have kind of all sub genres of rock and roll represented in Nashville, you know, classic rock, hard rock, eighties rock. Uh Dave Mustaine doesn't live far from uh from where my family and I live. So uh but uh you know man, Nashville's just such a great city to to do your music to write to record um, everything you need is right there and I'm really grateful hmm. to be there
1: yeah Damon is there a venue there that all the musicians get together in every so often and jam you
3: no know, like I said Richie everyone's busy man everybody's <laughs> always on the you yeah. know what I mean yeah uh, it's very it's just you know there, I mean there's, there's a couple of places where people know that, oh, well, there'll be some kind of rock music here. There, there's some stuff like that, but for the most part, man, Nashville just a great hub to run your business. Um, you know, whether you're a big artist like Brad Whitford and Aerosmith, or if you're a small independent artist like me, you know, hmm. everything is, everything's right there. So we love it.
1: Yeah. So one of the questions I've been asking all the guitar players, um, how many guitars do you think you have in your house?
3: probably got about 25 and you know which this sounds like a lot but then again it's not a lot when you consider how long i've been in the business um you know uh, i definitely have a you know the gibson les paul is without a doubt my favorite instrument so i have five or six of those but over the other other guitars you know there's there's a stratocaster Telecaster. I have a nice 335. I've got a couple of great acoustic guitars. So um, I would love to be more of a collector, like my friend Rick Nielsen. but uh, uh, And Joe Bonamassa. Joe lives in Nashville, too, by the way. He has a house there. Wow. Uh, got a place in Nashville and in, and in California. But um, yeah, man, I got about 25.
1: Okay, and Joe Bonamassa, he is one guy that is always on the road.
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, that's another great thing about Nashville is just the lifestyle that it offers you. I have tremendous respect for guys like Joe. Um, I have respect for any of these guys that, that are always touring. That's not the life that I want. I want to be an artist and I want to play music and I want to work hard, but I have children. I'm crazy about my wife. I want us to have some kind of a, a life together. And, I totally understand guys that want to just be touring all the time. Uh, I get that. You know, that this is in no way putting them down for choosing to live like that, but that's not for me. And uh, so, uh, you know, you're, you're catching me at a moment where I've made the transition into doing my own, you know, just being a solo artist full-time. And uh, the, the greatest fulfillment Richie, has been having control of my own calendar. I am euphoric about it, man, so um, really really happy with the balance between music and and family that yeah have
1: yeah so so Damon, was there any particular guitar you used to write the solo record that uh, you might't have used maybe for black star writers that you wanted it to go in a certain direction, so you decided I might pick up this guitar I very rarely write with, and maybe see what I can come up with with that
3: um. The short answer to that question is no. I I feel like I can write songs on anything. And most of the time when I'm writing, I have an acoustic guitar in my hand. Um, you know, coming up with riffs, coming up with chord progressions, that's easy. That's the easy stuff. The ditch digging hard work of songwriting is lyrics and melody. And I find that having an acoustic guitar in my hand helps me focus on that much more. And then it's fun for me to start to kind of put a little demo together and then pick up the electric guitar and begin to add some flourishes and some colors to that. Um, I've been really pleased with the reaction to my new album. Um people are talking about the songs. There are definitely some moments of you know, guitar um you know, guitar architecture. You know, man, it's about the stories, it's about my vocals, it's about trying to draw people in. Hmm. singing about. So uh, you know, I do want to make a great guitar record one day, Richie. Yeah. You know, I'm such a fan of I'm such a fan of Gary Horne, Stevie LeBon Horn, um uh, you know, even Jeff Beck, it's like I'd love to make a record like that where the guitar is really the focus front and center. But uh, right now, my fans seem to be really loving the fact that I'm back behind the microphone full-time and, uh, you know, telling my story within the songs.
2: Mm. So,
1: so Damon, how old are some of these songs? Like, are they all brand new that you recorded for the record, or do they go back a few years?
3: Nine out of the ten songs are brand new. They were written within, you know, an eighteen-month period of the release date. I had some specific themes, uh, some specific concepts that I wanted to write about, and I didn't really have anything else laying around that was of that that had the energy. I guess is a way to say it. Hmm. Um, so yeah, man, I'm proud of that. You know, I'm proud of that fact that uh, this record, more than any. <clears throat> Um, Hello. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah you're, you're breaking up every now and again, just the last 20, 30 seconds.
3: What uh, they saying is that I'm, I'm proud of the fact so, you know, represent truthfully in where I'm at at this point in my life. They're all new songs. They, you know, there was one song that I that I had um, about seven or eight years ago, uh, back when I was still playing. That was cool, but everything else was new.
1: Okay, um, you mentioned there that you you're in control now of your your own career. Um, are you someone who has a difficulty then letting the song go and saying it's done?
3: Uh, I do. I don't think I did. But you know, um, again, I think it had a lot.
0: Oh shit! Yep. Sometimes rain and cell phones can be a bitch, but hang on, Richie will get him back.
3: I am here. Hey.
4: You're back on track here with Richie
1: <laughs> Damon. I I couldn't hear a word you were saying to me for about two minutes.
3: Richie, sorry about that. Man. We have, <laughs> we, have uh, we have pulled over. Okay. So, okay. so we can so we can talk for a minute.
1: All right. So
3: uh, happy interruptions.
1: Yeah. So one of the questions I was I asked and I couldn't hear your answer was. Um, is it easy for you letting go of songs now because you're in control and you don't have someone to tell you that we're, you know, we're, we're done or someone is helping you write the songs?
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I really think about it as necessarily being easy, but I definitely feel kind of saw it at, you know, taking these 30 years of experience of being a, a full time musician, songwriter, guitar player, etc., and uh, just kind of letting the song happen, not controlling where it goes. And, you know, again, man, it's, it's really about how I feel about the lyrics more than anything that, you know, to dictate how I feel about the song. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, no, no problem with, with letting it go and, yeah. and moving forward.
1: Yeah. Do you, do you miss having someone to bounce ideas off? <laughs> well, I mean, I certainly,
3: certainly bounce some ideas off my friend, uh, my longtime friend, Jim Troglin, Yeah. Collab- you know, we collaborated on, on the majority of these songs, um, you know. But we've been mates for for quite some time, and um, we sat down and I shared the ideas that I had about kind of the overall direction I wanted it to go. Uh, I really enjoy collaboration. Um, it does make things a little simpler. You know, it's just nice to get that reinforcement over simple things like, hey, is, it, is this the right word or should we change this? Uh, do I need to write another verse? Do you feel like the story is complete? Does this song need a bridge? <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun.
2: Hmm.
1: Now, now, when speaking of collaboration now, I, I had Ricky Warwick on for a heavy fire when it came out. And of course, Rick, you were writing with Ricky... And Ricky's dad, I believe, passed away when you were writing for the record. So one of the questions I asked I asked Ricky was, um, you, when you're sitting across from Damon and you're bouncing ideas off each other, you're grieving because of the loss of your dad. I said, was it difficult, do you think, for Damon to sit there and actually say to you when you presented an idea to him that that's not, that, that's not going to work or that idea is crap? And he said, no, Damon had actually say it to me. But that must have been difficult for you as well.
3: Well, I mean, look, man, as a, as a family man myself, you know, I had great empathy for, for that situation for Ricky. And, you know, Ricky is such a faultful person. He's obviously in a, a fantastic songwriter. And I just think, in a lot of ways, the simple concept of just going to work you know like I have a job to do I need to focus on, on this I'm sure that was therapeutic for him and helpful um, you know I, I I think he had a, a real ability to kind of compartmentalize what was happening uh, you know he would take a break he would call his mother or his family to discuss you know whenever there's a, a death in the family you know there's a lot of arrangements to be seen about so uh, he certainly had he would take a break sometimes and, and have to address some of that stuff but you know Ricky's um, he's a strong human being and you know that he's proven that in his songwriting in his commitment to touring and just how he's lived his life so um, I think it was helpful for him to, to have a record to record to have new songs that needed to be written. Um, I know it was challenging. It, you know, it would be challenging for anyone, but I think Ricky uh, he certainly came through with flying colors.
2: Hmm.
1: Now, when you decided to leave Black Star Writers, um, did you call all the guys personally, or did you leave it up to management to tell them?
3: Oh, no, I called everybody, man. You know, <laughs> we're a family. Look, I'm a businessman, Richie. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, i made my own decisions and, you know, part of being a businessman is treating people with respect. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would never dream of doing something disrespectful and just sending a text message or an email or, uh, you know, call management and say, hey, let the guys know I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We, we've all spent too much time together.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: so, yeah. Do- do you, know, do you know Christian Martucci at all, the guy who replaced you?
3: I, I do not. I do not know Christian. I'm familiar with Stone Sour, and uh, you know certainly Christian has a has a great resume of things that he's been a part of, but I really don't know anything about Christian. I look forward to, to meeting him one day.
1: Yeah. Now, when you were doing this record, and like, Black Star Writers have a new record coming out as well, and you're still great mates with all the guys in the band. So when you're calling them up or you're meeting them or or whenever do you try and not ask about the new music at all or does that just inevitably come up
3: oh no man listen you know the greatest invention in the last 20 years is text message I love text messaging because you can you can let someone know you're thinking about them you can share some information with someone and you don't have to get on the phone and have some lengthy discussion about it Hmm. um you know, so just like when I was putting my record out, and I would get a text from Scott Gorham or from Robbie Crane, "Hey, buddy, good luck, I know the record's coming out. you know, we're proud of you. I did the same thing then, you know I' nice. uh, already heard I've already heard half of the new record, and it's fantastic, and I knew it would be fantastic because Ricky Warwick is the fucking songwriter,
2: yeah,
3: yeah, you know, so you know, it's different it definitely sounds different with uh without me there. But it's still great. The essence of the songs are they're just as strong as any any songs, you know, from the previous three records and that's that's all on Ricky. So I'm so proud of them and, you know, I'm happy for for them to uh to have all the infrastructure they have, you know, big management, big record label, uh, you know, and and they'll be able to get on the road and and book those long tours that are six and seven and eight and nine weeks, and they can go out there and have a grand old time.
2: Mm. I don't
3: look like that anymore, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> ever, ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever again. I don't want a tour like that, and I'm not going to. And that's, you know, those guys are happy.
1: Yeah. I'm made. I think, Damon, it it's not the lengthy tours.
3: Well, I, it is,
1: but it's where you have to go to tour. I think Black Star Writers, it's, it's the European market, so you've got to always go over there to tour.
2: Well,
3: I mean, there's no doubt it makes it hard for us to live in, in the United States. It's hard to communicate. It's impossible to just get on a plane and fly home for a few days and then come back. It's just not cost effective. You know, it's not sustainable to live like that. Um, you know, I love my time in Europe, and I'm, listen, I'm coming back to Europe, I'm, you know, I want to bring my own music over there, mm-hmm. and, and and grow my audience for Damon Johnson, just like, you know, Gary Moore did, or like, you know, Bonham does today, mm. I, I look forward to doing that, but you won't see me over there for three months at a time, <laughs>
2: you know? <laughs>
3: yeah it's too it's fucking it's too fucking long brother it's just too long yeah I feel like
1: that I when I when I spoke to John Caravi about a year ago I said it to him that the, the guys in the Dead Daisies you might as well move to Europe
3: yeah well and look man fucking European fans are the best yeah there are no better music fans on the planet than the ones in Europe and and brother they have been so supportive of my new record you know I'm my own record label, Richie. You know, if a fan goes to my website and buys the CD or the vinyl, man, that thing gets put in a package and a stamp put on it at my house in Nashville, Tennessee, and my wife drives it to the post office and mails it out. So, you know, we know firsthand, you know, the people that are ordering products from Finland and Germany and Scotland and, you know, the list goes on and on. And that's, that's because of the fans that I've been able to, to grow and, and connect with in my time with Tin Lizzy and Black Star
1: Riders. Yeah. Wow, Damon, you really are in control of everything.
3: Yeah, man. I know <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> so you're going, yeah. out, you're going out during the summer now. You're doing some Tin Lizzy shows again. Um, how did you end up with Mastodon's Troy Saunders playing bass on this run?
3: You know, we were just bouncing ideas around. And, uh, you know, the challenge with bringing in an outside musician that is established and that is, you know, popular, uh, you know, those guys are going to be busy as well. It's just like when we did the run in 2016, uh, the, the first committed bass player that we had to play with us in Ben Lizzy was Duff McKagan. But, you know, within about two months of starting to put all that together. You know, Duff had some, (laughs) his schedule got very busy. Nobody (laughs) knew that Guns N' Roses Roses was about to reunite. And, you know, it's happened with with several other guys that we've spoken to. And, you know, someone said, hey, man, what about Troy from Mastodon, who we all love? I was the first person to go, dude, there's no way we can't get Troy. They're going to be on tour all summer, I guarantee it. So I reached out to Brent Hines who's my friend you know their guitar player yeah I said hey what's your what's your schedule in late July and August he goes we're off and I said do you think Troy would want to play bass and then Lizzy he's like are you fucking kidding me
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> because um,
1: when I had Ricky on the last time I, I said like you got Tom Hamilton to play bass and Tom Hamilton never plays with anyone else other than Aerosmith
3: that's right. Yeah, we were really lucky to get Tom. It's a great experience to work with Tom. Um, you know, man, that's just what Thin Lizzy has become, and that's what it is. It's, uh, you know, it's Scott Goro's stand and Scott loves going out and playing with some guest musicians sitting in. And obviously, Thin Lizzy's legacy is so massive, and those songs are so incredible that, you know, it reaches musicians really of multiple generations, you know, um, you know, to have a legendary musician like Tom Hamilton even want to, to sit down and learn all those songs and come out and play with us, man, that says a lot about the songs. It says so much about the songs and how special they are. Hmm.
1: Now, speaking about Lizzie songs, I've asked Ricky, I asked Marco Mendoza, and I asked Jimmy DeGrasso this question. And now I'm going to ask you, Damon. Name a, name a Lizzie song that you've never played live that you've Scott, listen, can we put this in the set?
3: We have never played Got to Give It Up off of Black Rose. Yeah. And that is going to change this year. Nice. We're doing Black we're doing Black Rose in its entirety. Nice. And uh, so I'm really excited about that.
1: Yeah, so you're gonna be doing S and M and all those other great tracks on that album. Wow. Every every song brilliant you're going to be doing the album in it in in the same order the running order
3: i don't know that we're going to do it that way i think to make the show have have a good flow to it and a good energy i think it would make more sense to kind of spread them out Hmm. Uh, you know none of us really listen to ben lizzie records from top to bottom usually if i want to listen to lizzie it's on shuffle you know like i I I have my own playlist of, of those songs, but I don't know, man. We'll do we'll do it we'll do it whatever way it suits. But but the, the key is to put on a great show. You still gotta keep the show interesting. Uh it's gotta have a flow to it. And uh so we'll see, man. I'm looking forward to rehearsing with the guys and mm. putting it together.
1: Yeah, so let's spend a minute or two, Damon. I have to ask you about Pledge Music. Um I've had Uh, Phil Sussan and Vinnie Appesey on from Last in Line and they got burned as well as you um, and a lot of other artists Um, how did you find out that the company was in trouble?
3: I got my first payment, you know the way Pledge works is like when you finish your campaign when you reach the release date of your album the agreement is that they're going to start sending you your money in three different installments so I got my first installment it was late but I got it and then, as I was waiting on the second installment, it wasn't coming, and I was reaching out to my main contact with Fledge, and finally, back in January, he let me know that they were having real problems, and uh, you know, I was optimistic that they would figure out their problems, and you know, it just never occurred to me that they would just steal everybody's money. Hmm. They just take all that money and go, oh, sorry, guys, but we're going to have to file for bankruptcy. So I was holding out optimistically from January up until two weeks ago. It's like, hey, man, so, you know they're going to find a buyer to come in, buy the company, invest some money in it, make everybody whole financially that they owe money to, and then continue to be the successful crowdfunding platform that they've been for several years. But that did not happen, and they did file for bankruptcy. And the minute that happened, I knew without a doubt that I wasn't going to see another painting of it's my money.
2: Hmm. It's not their
3: money. It's my money.
2: It's yeah. all
3: my money.
1: So, so tell me about the show you're going, you have coming up now in in, in June to try and raise some revenue.
3: It's going to be incredible, incredible. Um, the first person to get on board is an incredible singer named Mike Ferris. I would encourage everyone to research Mike. Mike is doing a tour of the UK himself uh, in the fall. But Mike is an amazing R&B soul singer. And we grew up together back in the 90s. He fronted his own band at the time. And we did tour dates together when I was in Brother Kane. So when he heard about what happened, he immediately wanted to get on board. Brad Whitford from Aerosmith, my neighbor in Nashville, he Damon, please, man, I'd love to come down and jam and be a part of this. Obviously, I was very excited about that. And hmm. I get the call out of the blue from my friend Kevin Barton, that we've with Candlebox. And uh, we've been friends for many, many years. We toured together as well, Brother Kane from Candlebox back in the late 90s. And, uh, you know, on their own dime, the entire band is flying to Nashville. Uh, and they're going to play a 45 minute set. At, uh, at my show. Uh, it'll be a week from this coming Monday, so June the 3rd.
0: Wow. Yep, I know. We totally missed the date on that one. Sure, that was a great show, especially having uh, Brad Whitford playing, but he does have some other stuff that is coming up. So in June, uh, June 18th, 19th, and 21st, he'll be playing uh, Quebec City, uh, Montreal, as well as Cornwall, Ontario. On July 20th, he'll be in Peoria, Illinois. It'll be the Damon Johnson, uh, also Aaron Lewis and Clutch. And then uh, going into July and August, he's over in Europe with Finn. Lizzy, uh, and that's uh, in, uh, you know, in Wales, in, in London, in Spain, and also Belgium, and of course, if you want to keep up with all of Damon's upcoming dates, as well as getting tickets, you can go, where's that place? That's right, DamonJohnson.com. So, uh, it's going
3: to be great, man. I'm, I'm so grateful to I have some amazing friends, and I have amazing fans. You know, the fans are, listen, they're the ones that are more furious than anybody. You know, they're the ones that want to if there was a place, music office building, you know, they want to go there and torch the place and start dragging people out by their toenails. Um, but you know, the fans continue to support my music, my career. And it's like a guy said to me last night, we played in St. Louis, Missouri. He said, Damon, we just want you to keep making records. Well, we want you to keep doing what you're doing.
2: Hmm. Uh, you
3: know, um, it's very flattering to hear people say things like that. Yeah. Know?
1: So, so da- know, it's,
3: it's inspiring.
1: Yeah. So Damon, has this tainted your view now of uh, crowdfunding in the future? Like, are you ever going go no, to ter- go with a third? You ever going to go with a third party company again, or do you think you just, you'll keep it in house the next time and do it yourself?
3: I will keep it in house. I will, I will engage crowdfunding for my next record. Absolutely. But I'm going to do it myself, mate. I'm going to run it right off my website. Essentially, at the end of the day, if you really get down to it, Richie, all Pledge Music is is a website for people to go in, you know, say, oh, I want to buy this, and they get their credit card information, and then, you know, several weeks later, they get their stuff. I can do that on my website, mate. I don't Mm. need to give some company 15% just just because they have a PayPal account. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think
1: I think that's what I think and that's what bothered a lot of people about the whole pledge music thing when it went when it went to shit um they looked at a lot of the musicians and and probably said why didn't you do this yourself in the first place anyway
3: well pledge music has been a successful platform for quite some time and the thing that appeals to us as musicians initially is you think there's the chance that because they are a proven entity, and they have this giant following. You know, there are people that go to Pledge Music and just look around and go, oh, who's running a Pledge campaign that I might be interested in supporting? True. So as an artist, you think you might get some peripheral fans, you know, people that don't necessarily know who you are even, mm. might, you know, get exposed to it. Ultimately, now that I've done one myself, I don't believe that anymore. I think every single person that supported my record, they were Damon Johnson fans. They didn't see me with Alice Cooper. They saw me with Brother Kane. They saw me with Black Star Riders. And then they saw me promoting that I had a pledge campaign on my social media and on my website. Hmm. So, you know, I have a feeling all those same people would be just as comfortable going to DamonJohnson.com, click on the crowdfunding page that I'll put up on my next record, And they can pre-order the vinyl, pre-order the CD, buy some unique memorabilia, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Mm, I think, you know, Damon, I think you're right.
3: That's how I'm going to do it next time, mate. Mm.
1: Yeah, I just got a couple of questions before I leave you go. Um, Did you ever play golf with Alice Cooper?
3: Are you drunk, mate? (laughs) Yes, yes. I've talked about that for a decade now, Richie, I played more golf with Alice Cooper than I played rock concerts. Wow. That's a fact. <laughs> you know, we played every single day. Every day. I mean, we would we would do tours where we would play golf like 11 days in a row. And the only time we took a day off is because it was raining and we couldn't get on the golf course. <laughs> I think
1: like, when I had Cain Roberts on a few months ago, when he he said in the 80s, Alice would be walking through the hotel lobby at four in the morning and Cain would say, where are you going? I'm going out to play golf.
3: You no, know, it's a fact. Alice would be leaving the hotel to go play golf and the guys would be coming in for a night of partying. You know?
2: <laughs>
3: happened, happened all the time.
2: <laughs>
3: I, I I saw it myself, you know, cause I was in the band for a while, you know, with Brian Roxy and Chuck Garrett. And, you know, we might have a night off the next day and, Alice and I would be in the lobby with our clubs ready to go. And those guys would come in and, you know, maybe they're coming back from the bars. So it was awesome. (laughs) Awesome.
1: Yeah. So would you consider yourself a guitar player primarily who sings or a singer first who also plays guitar?
3: That's a good question, Richie, because for years and years, I always said "I'm I'm a guitar player that sings. And I believe now, with the transition with this record and and what's happened over the last year, I think that has shifted. Uh, You know, both are just as as important and vital to me. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud to be an artist, to be a singer again, and, you know, to be focusing on that. Uh, I have a lot to learn, man. Every day I learn um, about writing better, Singing better, performing better. But uh, this is definitely the album that I feel I have transitioned into being, you know, a full time singer. Mm. Singer songwriter, guitarist. That's what my publicist sends out now.
1: Nice. You know
3: well,
1: what I mean? Nice. So, Damon, I'm, I'm going to leave you go. It's been a, an absolute pleasure talking to you. I hope you get up to the Boston area and I can come out and say hello to you and see you play live.
3: Mate, I would love that. That's such a great town. It's a great music town. And uh thank you for uh you know, thanks for having me on and, and uh yeah, keep an eye out, man. Hmm. Here, let's uh let's come and see me play when I get up there.
1: I will. Damon, the album's excellent as well, by the way. I can't I can't rate it highly enough. It's brilliant. Thank you so much, Richie. I'm All very right.
3: proud of it, mate. All the best.
1: Yeah, take care of yourself, have a good rest of the day. All right, okay. Thank bye. You. All right.
0: All right. Big thanks to Damon Johnson for coming on Focus on Metal, giving us all the scoop on everything he's up to. And again, if you want to support him, go to DamonJohnson.com. You can get uh, all your Damon merch as well as find out what's going on, tickets, all that good stuff, like I said. But up next, we have Butto, who is the vocalist for the band last crack and uh you know they hit back and just pretty much in the like the late late 89 maybe that they were uh they put out their sinister funk house number 17 and then in 1991 they put out burning time which had a, a lot of people really getting behind that one uh richie being one of those people and then really not hearing much out of them except uh you know last year they did pop a single out for the upcoming release but then last month on May 31st, they released The Uprising, which is their first full-length release since 91's Burning Time. And this thing, as I mentioned before, is been released off of Dave Ellison's EMP Label Group. And in fact, you can get your copy right from there if you want. Go to emplabelgroup.com. And it's always available on Amazon and all those good places, too. So yeah. Uh, yeah, Richie had Butto on. They had a good talk about all that stuff. And I think Butto was even a little surprised that Richie was so familiar with the band and their past history. So, why don't I turn the microphone over to Richie as he talks to Butto from Last Crack?
1: Hey, Butto, how are you doing? Hey, Richie. Good to hear you. Yeah, so where are you based now?
4: Madison, Wisconsin.
1: Madison, Wisconsin. Okay, you can probably tell from my accent I'm, a, I'm not from the U.S. So, where
4: are you from?
1: I'm Irish. Oh, nice. Yeah. So um, I don't know how if the band ever actually made it over there, either back in the day or, or more recently with another project. Have, have you have you played much in Europe?
4: Yeah, we have. We played Europe quite a bit. Uh, let's see. We were in Germany a lot. Uh, Belgium. Okay.
1: Okay. I did, this is with last crack.
4: We didn't get to Ireland.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, listen, a lot, of, a lot of I've had so many bands tell me that um, it's just a little bit out of the way when it comes to playing in Europe.
4: Right.
1: Yeah. So, so was this with Last Crack? You made it to Europe and did all the shows.
4: I'll repeat that, please.
1: Uh, was it with Last Crack that you, you you played all the European shows, or was it with other bands? Yeah. Just Last Crack.
4: Yeah, the only time many of us have been like abroad touring is with Last Crack.
1: Okay. Okay. How did you go over with the audiences over there, because when you look at the festivals, they're a lot more eclectic, they seem to be more open to different sounding bands on this on the same bills did 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 you find the audiences tough over there, or were they pretty open to your music?
4: I think they were really open to it, yeah, it was just a great environment to play heavier music over there uh, yeah, people listen they're they're very attentive. we loved being. Uh, in europe playing shows
2: hmm.
1: so it was a lot different than in the u.s was it when when especially when he came out with burning time you were they tried to pigeonhole you a little bit more
4: uh yeah i think you know we were on the cusp of that big change that was coming up in music and uh we were we were a, a square peg in a round hole i think we uh the Ra- Re- Roadrunner Records was probably having trouble figuring out what they were going to do with us and uh, I don't know it was just such a weird time in music when there was an undercurrent of this alternative rock coming up but uh, we were on the cusp of it we probably uh, would have made more noise if we would have kept on at that point
1: mm. Was it difficult to get your songs back then played on the radio that a lot of people scratched their heads at the music because they were comparing it to other bands, and you guys really had your own particular sound back then.
4: Yeah, we were probably not fitting in the commercial rock or metal genre on radio for sure back then. Uh, thank God for, like, Headbangers Ball, who takes chances on some stuff. Energy Mind got played on there. Yeah, we, we didn't really touch, I think, uh, commercial radio at all. I think this new album,
2: though, The Uprising,
4: will have that potential.
1: Yeah. Now, when you guys split up, did all of you stay active in the music business or or just some of you?
4: We continued on in various projects. Um, The band is filled with a lot of creative minds, so there's no way to hold that back. We all played in various bands in the past 20 years here outside of playing in Last Crack. And uh, we, we have all picked up other jobs and careers as we went along, but music is the undying force.
1: Mm. Um, Bodo, were you someone who maybe got into the, the producing side of it, the other side of the glass? Or, or did you stay just active in bands as a
0: singer?
4: Yeah, I've been a musician. I, I actually tried uh, helping out with the production once, and I just I didn't really... I didn't have enough patience for it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, but Paul Schluter, our guitar player, owns his own studio now. It's called Megatone in Madison, mm. and uh, doing that full time, he's been doing it for about twelve years now. That's his only income besides maybe guitar lessons here and there.
2: Mm.
1: So, did you stay in contact with the other guys, or, or was there a long time where you didn't actually speak to each other?
4: yeah you know we always kind of knew what each other are doing, uh even in our other projects and stuff um uh, you know we're always aware we're like we're like a brotherhood and we're all still in the same area, so there's really no way to avoid knowing what each of us are doing mm. <laughs> we didn't hang out and go for beers much, but uh yeah, we all knew what we were doing, and we're always interested to see what everybody is coming up with.
1: Mm. and did you? often have people come up to you saying, wow, I, I really loved Last Crack back in the, was the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, or Was that just more of a recent thing, or were people coming up to you over the years actually saying that to you anyway?
4: Yeah, people have said that uh, throughout the years. You know, people have been polite, I guess, with their other projects. You know, it's like I, I had a band called Mind Ox who recorded in El Dorado after Last Crack did, and you know, we were kind of a different band, not as heavy as Last Crack, but, you know, people dug it. They, they kind of just wait to see what we're all going to come up with. I didn't hear, like, wow, it's really good, but I wish it were Last Crack. Although people wondered why we're not jamming together all this time. <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah, because I, I think you played some sporadic shows, but was there an, ever any talk of uh, actually writing new material before this record?
4: Yeah, so we actually uh, started a demo uh, maybe 10 years ago or so that we we did like four or five songs and recorded the drums and guitars and then we kind of got sidelined because we helped a, a friend of ours uh, play a show with Bon Jovi in downtown Madison at the Cole Center and, and for some reason that kind of threw off our whole mojo and those songs fit for well since now since this album mm. so we picked those tracks up and four of those songs actually have uh quite a bit done on them you know that we've completed in the plat in the past fa- <laughs> sorry in the past three years so yeah we had a good basis of of a few songs to finish to keep going on this album
1: mm. so so but what changed now to make it right to do the record now rather than before
4: We started playing a couple shows uh, and we all felt that chemistry again when we were were jamming together and we realized that we had this material that was just kind of sitting there that was undone and that we should get this done and we should devote ourselves to it. And so then that's what we did. We took really the past two years has been pretty hardcore (laughs) tracking and mixing and Getting it to this point where it is ready.
1: Mm. Now, there's been a lot of changes in the music business over the years. Uh, it's easier now to get your music out there. You can self-release it. Um, there's probably you, you're less involved in the politics of it now. Um, did that have any effect on you guys making new music? That you, you maybe felt you're you more in control of it now than you would have been in the past.
4: Yeah, I think that's a huge element just the fact that paul has his own commercial studio it gives us access to everything that we need so yeah we don't we didn't have to uh you know go out of house to to get this done
1: Mm. so did you actually record the record and have it done and then find the label or were the label actually involved in the pro during the process of it
4: we were going to, well, we did. We funded this ourselves. Yeah. We, uh, we had a target for a GoFundMe account, and people helped us out quite a bit. We didn't quite meet our goal, but we got what we needed to get it done with the recording and the mixing, and then uh, <clears throat> we were in the final stages of the mix, like in uh, last December or so. And Paul went to a base story event with Dave Ellison in Milwaukee. And it's a small VIP event where they had like 20 people at a table talking about um, Maggie Death and Dave and whatever's going on. And then they introduced everybody around the table and Paul Sluter was there. So he stood up and said, yeah, I'm Paul Sluter from Last Crack. And then Tom Hazard was there. He's the EMP A&R guy under Dave he said he remembers the last crack. He's from Green Bay. So he said, I want to check this stuff out. And within like a week or so, he offered us a contract. So they're doing, uh, they picked up the ball here with distribution, production, promotion, all the stuff that we really do need help with.
1: Mm. So when you started writing the material, you got a lot of technological changes now. You got your Pro Tools and everything. Was there any particular way you went about writing the songs now that wasn't available to you years ago? Or did you just get in a room and, and jam it? How did all that work?
2: Yeah,
4: the way that we work is I mean, I don't think the technology influenced our recording or our writing at all. Um, the way this works is that we start with, you know, Paul is like a riff machine. He comes up with these parts, and then slowly everybody builds around it. And uh, usually, the lyrics and the melody are the last thing to go on. I'll sit and listen to looped parts, riffs that Paul has come up with. Hmm. And then my job is kind of like the arrangement. First, I arrange the material into a storyline, and then words start appearing in my mind, and these are the lyrics that eventually get sung.
1: Okay, so you said there that you had a demo that you did years ago, and a couple of the songs you, you reworked. Were they the songs that you started with for the new record, or did you did you start with writing the newer, the newer songs first?
4: No, so we we started with the ones that we had, and then built off of there. Um, we had Greta Grinder, we had Bullet Train, we had Siren Song. Yeah. And we had a song called Sensei, which has kind of changed more dramatically than it was in its original state. But So probably those songs were the first bricks that we used to build this all up.
1: Mm. Um, was there any particular song you wrote for the record where you, you felt you got over the hump, that you could actually do this and get a full album's worth of material done?
4: Yeah, it was interesting. The band we had this one song, we were calling it Epic, just because we we give working titles to things that don't have words yet. So this one was called Epic, and it was actually a real strong, powerful song. And I was having, that one gave me the most difficulty in writing lyrics for. It was the last one I finally got the lyrics finished for. And it's now called Golden Age, and it's probably... Well, maybe one of the strongest songs on the album
1: oh. so did did any of the, any of you guys take convincing to actually get back on on the bike and and give it another go, or were all of you just ecstatic to to do the new record for right from the beginning?
4: I think that uh it's really weird we all kind of like come at it with a little bit of trepidation,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure
4: <laughs> because you know we're all uh our chemistry is strong but it can be volatile it, and we all, it's like having five different cooks in the kitchen all the time and so it takes a while for us to hammer out stuff so we can agree on it and sometimes we got you know, maybe there's some sour feelings here or there about you know, what's happening but we're ultimately a democracy mm. and and I just think that when we get together we we know it's very serious
1: <laughs> <laughs> So but but are you someone who frets over lyrics a lot? Um, do you are you someone who's constantly changing them, or do you need someone to actually tap you on the shoulder and say, "Listen, we're done with this song. We have to move on."
4: Uh, I usually do. I I do most of my work like in my brain. So yeah, I am constantly rhyming, counting syllables. A little bit of o c d there, but. It's nonstop. Always counting, looking for rhymes, looking for uh, words that are going to capture the images, but don't make it obvious. Um, so when I come in, I would say it's ninety-nine percent what I have allowed myself to do. Uh-huh. And you know, maybe Paul or Don will say, "Hey, Bud, what about what about?" repeating this line or what about changing that one word on that chorus so it, you know and I'll, I'm totally open to it but uh, yeah I mean I think I do most of that work in myself before I get to the band you know
1: Yeah. now I'm sure over the years a lot of your influences have changed like the, there's been newer music that have come out and you've all absorbed all of that um, was that something that you were conscious of when you were writing or did you guys sit down and say listen I'm a big fan of this band, but this and it's going to influence what I'm going to write, but I can't really bring it to last crack.
4: Uh, for us, no. I mean, we're just so organic. I mean, uh, this happens with hours and hours of jamming, and that means just uh, Paul comes out with a riff that he has and original stuff, and I, a lot of this stuff doesn't sound like anything I've heard, and then we build around that, and then it's just... It's just such an organic process. It's not really thought out with any kind of target at all, you know?
1: Mhm. So you never come in with lyrics first. It's always the music first, and then you write the lyrics after.
4: Yeah. I mean, when it comes to songs, I'm, I write, but it's just, uh, you know, freeform venting of my mind, uh, thoughts that maybe I'll hammer into lyrics. So, yeah, we start with the music. There's got to be a real solid bed.
2: Hmm.
1: I, I want to ask you about a couple of, s- of tracks on the record, Butto. um The first I had, uh, when I listened to the record, I had it up on shuffle by mistake. So the first track I actually heard was Bullet Train. Um, <laughs> and that to me sounds like it was a definite jam in the studio, that one.
4: Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think that was the very first take that we did for that one and that was one of the original ones, so 10 years or so ago, there was a certain magic we had for that take, and we we tried to re-record it, but it just did not have the vibe that that one did. So we basically, Paul used all those original tracks, pulled them out, cleaned them up a bit more. He even used the lyrics that I, my vocals that I used back then. So everything there is like, pretty much what it was in its natural state when it was first captured
1: mm, I, I love when bands actually do that and, and admit to it because you've heard for years uh, bands are always chasing the, the vibe on the demos that they can't get it so when a band can actually take you know step back and say listen we might have the technology now we might be able to play it a little bit better but we just can't catch the vibe and they're willing to go ahead and do that I, I, I love when bands do that
4: Cool, that's what happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So h- how easy was it to actually pick the single to to, uh, to represent the record? Was that something you had to think a lot about because people might be expecting a certain sound from you guys and you had to pick a song to represent that or did you just say, right, we we just love this song first and we're just going to do that one?
4: I think, yeah, what you said last there is is our case. We had Icicle... Uh, to a a point that was, well, first of all, we all love the song, so we we gave it the most effort first in in finishing it with mixing and stuff. And uh, we thought it was a good, a strong representation of of what we do as far as music and vocals. It was kind of a new adventure because there's a whole lot of chants and vocals on that song that Last Crack really hasn't done before. So it, it showed a new facet of the band. And then we just went ahead and finished it, and then we shot a video for it. And that has been actually completed for about a year and a half.
1: Wow. So did you actually work up more songs than what made the record, or did you just complete the amount of songs that are actually on the album?
3: <laughs>
4: we have two songs that we contemplated uh, which were in contention. One was... A cover, uh, Let's Have a War by Fear, and the other one was a song called Everything, which is a total departure for Last Crack. It's like a ballad. It's like a, <laughs> a slow kind of a, a ballad. Hmm. that's called a love song, but it's definitely a, like a slow dance type of deal. And um, Paul and I couldn't agree on the exact structure of it, so we decided just to shelve it for now.
1: Okay, excellent. So, so before I leave you go, Bodo, do you want to give out all the social media sites where, where people can't get in touch with you or the band?
4: Okay. Um, actually, we have a, a new website that's being created right now, and I'm not sure if it's up and running yet. It should be very soon. I don't have a, an address to give you for that. It's terrible, but we could be contacted through Facebook, Last Crack, um, and the EMP label group K okay, on their website.
2: hmm
1: And what about live shows? Um I'm I'm assuming you've got a lot of live shows coming up or in the works.
4: Yeah, they're starting to they're starting to happen now. So we've got this Saturday we've got a big festival. We've got our C D release show at the high noon saloon in Madison, uh Friday the thirty first, so almost a week away. Mm. And then we have various authors even to come to Europe or to play shows in the region and uh Tom Hazard from EMP is helping us uh figure out what our game plan's going to be here once this all cuts loose
1: nice nice well if you get up to the boston area um hopefully I can get out to you and say hello to you that would be awesome all right Bodo. well it's been a pleasure talking to you the album's excellent by the way i'm a big i'm i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of burning time and uh, I don't know why you guys didn't break. <laughs> it's it's the ever the, you know the, the ever ending question. Yeah. So
4: that's time, huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just really glad you're back, and it's been a pleasure talking to you.
4: Thank you, Rich. I really uh, appreciate.
1: It. All right. Have a good rest of the day. Okay. Okay. Nice. Great. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: So, what does the 2019 version of "Last Crack" sound like? We're well, going to find out right now. This is a track off of the Uprising. It's called. Paper Town. will do it for this week's edition of focus on metal hope you enjoyed chats with both damon johnson and butto from last crack and as i always say go out and support these guys and uh, let's keep the music going so at the moment, right now, as I'm laying this one down, I'm thinking that next week is going to be a bit of a Jeff Pilson episode. Richie's had uh, not one, but two different conversations with Jeff over the last two months about uh, two entirely different topics. And uh, looking at both of those, I'm thinking, you know, it might be a good thing to just run a whole week of nothing but Jeff Pilsen. So right now, I'm thinking if all goes to plan, that that's what you'll be hearing right here next week at this time. But for now, for this week, that's it. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So, for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, as always, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Uh...